If you enjoy our podcast, please consider supporting Glass Tire. All of the money we raise, since we are a nonprofit, goes right back into our coverage of Texas's art and artists. Our coverage is supported thanks to readers and listeners like you. If you would like to contribute, you can do so at glasstire.com forward slash donate. Thanks so much and enjoy today's show. Hello and welcome to Art Dirt. This is a podcast where we at Glass Tire talk about topical art topics. I am Brandon Zek. I'm William Saradet. And this week, it feels like we were just there. It feels like we just talked about it. Uh, that's because it was only about six months ago, but it's back and we're back. The Dallas Art Fair. Uh we are recording this this weekend, which means we've had some time to really take a look at the fair, walk through it, um, and we're going to give you some of our takes on it. Um, William, I, I'd love to hear kind of what your initial takeaways were. Um, I thought, I mean, in a lot of capacities, the fair is back. Uh, when the fair happened in November, it had maybe a little more than half of the normal uh, number of exhibitors. Uh, the fair's normally in April. Uh, it's kind of Texas's main art fair. There are others that have popped up. You know, there's one in Marfa. Um, there is occasionally one in Houston. But Dallas Art Fair is the one that, like, it's a large art fair. It's a real art fair. It's the fair that places, like... Karma Gallery from New York and Night Gallery from L.A. Like, it's it's the place that these galleries really come to in Texas. Um, what did you think after walking through? Yeah, I think um, it was super fun. <laughs> um, people were very chatty, very ready to talk and talk about what they've been doing, what's on their mind. Um the fair was fully open this time last year, as you may remember, it was, you know, give or take kind of half at capacity. There was a whole wing of the first floor that was closed off. Um, not the case this time around, very full, everyone, every booth occupied, um, fewer like shared booths or half booths. It seemed like people were pretty, pretty much occupying their own space. Um, people were in good spirits. There was a lot of good stuff to see. I personally was a little more impressed with the painting presentation by this time around rather than, uh, in November. Um, yeah. Did you see anything that stood out, Brandon, or was just kind of the aura of the fair enough for you? I was kind of taking in overarching, uh, feelings as I was walking through, I've been to enough art fairs at this point where I feel like it is, I mean, this is true for an art fair in general, but it is really hard for a singular thing to really pop 
during a fair. Um, and that's partly because art fair fatigue, because if the thing that you're really seeing comes after you've already walked through 75 booths, it's going to make less of an impact. Um, it's because, I mean, it, it's, it's because everything that surrounds an art fair and what an art fair is. Um, so there were a few things that stuck out, but I feel like I'd, I'd rather focus at least on my like general takeaways from the fair, because in addition to being chances to shop for art, like you're in a mall, uh, art fairs are a really interesting barometer of what the art market is doing, which we deal a little bit with in Texas, um, kind of the larger national art market I'm talking about, or the international art market, um, not the local art market largely of Texas artists, which galleries participate in. So it's always interesting to see, especially also the Texas galleries that are in the fair, um, how they present themselves and measure up uh, to other exhibitors. Spoiler alert, they always hold up because artists and galleries in Texas are just as good as anywhere else. But also how they're presenting themselves to people who are coming into Dallas for the fair. Um I feel like kind of one overarching thing that I saw this year is downstairs in the fair, at least the fair's two floors. Uh, but downstairs, I feel like I saw a lot of abstraction, which isn't something that's been really hot recently. Uh, a, a lot of what's been popular uh in the late 2010s, especially, was figuration. Uh, figuration has been really popular even since COVID happened, and there's been there's been plenty of speculation about it. You know that we're like we're wanting to see people, so artists are depicting people, and we're drawn to images of people. And I think there's total relevance to all of that. But walking through downstairs, I was shocked at how many abstract and brightly colorful works there were. And I think it's part of this general sense of people are getting out and about again. People are kind of resuming normal life. And there's almost... Uh, this is overcomplicating it, but almost like a return to frivolity. Like we're willing to kind of have some fun again and we want some happiness in our lives. And not that images of people are not that... But, I mean, who doesn't love a big, bright, splotchy swath of color? I suppose the fair is never really, like, incredibly reserved or reverent. You know, it's it's a little bit of a party. Um, so I saw some pieces by Marcy Hermansider at Mother Gallery. Um, they're a gallery based in New York. They've got a second location in Beacon. And those works are almost exclusively, uh, very heavily about natural disaster. Um, but myself and the gallerist were kind of poring over the artist's, like, drawing ability. Um, you know, just the ability to use the tools to create something that is neither representational nor abstract. It's more sophisticated. It's somewhere in between. Um, and the pieces are about natural disaster. They're about oil. And you definitely feel that. They're definitely were works that were like leaning closer to like frivolity i suppose you could say um works of all kinds but yeah people were just people were just happy to be back um well that is what we touched on william uh 
six months ago in November is that people were happy to be back then too. But even so, I'm not sure if I know the best way to describe this and maybe you could help me, but this year people were excited to be back still, but there was kind of an openness or just a, just a, just an excitement that I don't know if it was fully there in November. Like in November, there was an excitement around seeing everybody and being back and getting to see stuff. And, but I feel like this year there was actually an excitement for the fair itself. If that makes any sense. Um, I feel like I saw that difference. Uh, I, I stayed a little later into opening night and it was crowded. Like it was crowded on opening night and I feel like part probably part of it is a return to normal just in the sense of the fair being back in the spring and being back when it's supposed to be and people uh, being willing to come to the fair because it's it's part of their normal schedule um, that said it was an interesting choice to open the same weekend that the Venice Biennale opened but at the same time I feel like if they're I think there are a few artists in the fair. I think there's at least one who has um, someone something going on in Venice right now. So the choice, while seemingly odd and maybe cutting out a few people who would otherwise go to the Venice Biennale opening, it kind of can feed into um, a certain mythos or aura around artists who are participating in the Biennale. There's definitely like a different psychological space that comes with um, a fair that has no vacancy as compared to November, where they intentionally, you know, blocked off part of the building. Maybe some people didn't come that normally would come. It's at a different point on the calendar. Um, Yeah, no, I mean, as you described, Brandon, it's like there's two major art events this weekend and you can only pick one. Well, partly because of that conflict I wasn't sure what the attendance would be kind of on the collector level but also well we knew which galleries were participating because that news had already been announced but uh, well also (laughs) these these galleries uh, many which are participating who would also have some involvement in Venice you know the director of the gallery would be going to Venice and would not be coming to the fair or there is some like division of labor um, when you have multiple locations of a gallery. But in terms of other galleries coming from abroad to the fair, uh, I thought it was also interesting that there were a number of galleries who were not based in Texas who brought Texas artists to the fair. And I think this is a little bit, this is a little bit always the case. Uh, Like one of the artists, Daniel Rios Rodriguez, who's represented by a gallery in Ireland, they kind of always bring one or two pieces by him. He always has this one wall that his work is hung on in the booth that is a return visit. So people in galleries develop these patterns because obviously they know what sells, but also... Uh, they kind of have their stable that they're trying to represent. Um, William, did you notice kind of anything about where artists were from or Texas artists that were from elsewhere? Or what did you notice about the makeup, not of the galleries, but of the work that was in the fair? Yeah, that's a good question. And it kind of, um, you're right, Brandon, like the galleries 
obviously play to the Dallas market. They're in Dallas. They're coming to Texas. Some of them come very, very far away. So they've got to make the effort to get here. Why not, you know, cater a little bit? Um, And the answer to that question is like just another reflection of how strong and robust this fair has become and how it has like informed the Texas art market period. Um, Like the artists that you see in the fair and their relationship to Texas is like more complex than like, uh, say, they're living in San Antonio and they just like brought their painting to the fair. Uh, Like Xavier Carter um, came to do a performance. A piece of his was also acquired by the DMA. Um, He is like semi-based in Dallas, but he's always living abroad somewhere. Um, so he'll come in and do performances, represent his show that he wherever it is, and then he'll kind of like go back and, and pick up his next project. Um, I was really impressed with paintings by Travis Boyer, who's originally from Fort Worth, um, lives in New York now, I believe. That gallery was The Valley, based in Taos. Um, so like... Just between those two artists, the relationship they have to Texas is, it's straightforward in the sense that like they are from Texas, but they're not eat, sleeping, breathing here all the time. Um, So the fair is this like magnet that just brings Texas back home to Dallas for a minute, even if it's like by way of Ireland or New Mexico. Um, And I, that's just like, it's just so validating and reassuring to see. Well, and William, you mentioned uh, the DMA acquisition. So for any novices listening uh, or people who don't remember, the one of the things about this fair that makes it kind of interesting is that uh, there's the Dallas Art Fair Foundation and the Dallas Museum of Art, which together have partner to, uh, al- to put together this pool of money uh, so that the Dallas Museum of Art can acquire pieces out of the booths at the Dallas Art Fair. So the deal is the museum kind of gets first pick. They walk through uh, with collectors and curators and uh, handpick pieces, and those pieces, of course, get a nice label at the fair. Um, in theory, it makes the piece or the artist a little desirable, Um So, you know, the idea is that it helps the gallery. It, of course, helps the artist because they get a piece acquired um, and a piece that's guaranteed sold. And the biggest thing about it, which kind of is a little bit unwritten but generally understood, is that it helps the fair by motivating galleries to bring good works so that a piece that they bring will get chosen. I found it really interesting this year. Um, This year, 10 pieces were acquired and there were some uh, some kind of the normal standard bearers, like a piece was acquired from Knight Gallery, a piece was acquired from Anat Egby, um, but there were quite a few Texas artists and Texas galleries that pieces were bought from. Uh, a new gallery in Dallas, uh, Kaiser Koning, uh, got a piece in there. Uh, like you mentioned, William, Xavier Edward Carter from Aaron Cluley Gallery, Two pieces from various small fires, which actually just opened a Texas location, a Dallas location, um, this weekend during the fair. Um, 
also a piece uh, acquired uh, from 1226, which is a gallery in Dallas. And then there was another artist who is based in Dallas uh, who had a piece acquired from a gallery that's in Los Angeles. Um, I feel like this award, this prize, this pool of money, it's not necessarily meant to go to local artists or local galleries. It's very much... Um, designed so that the museum can fill gaps in their collection and can build a stronger contemporary collection of works by young artists. That is to say, they also buy works from older artists. Um, But it's nice to see so much of a Dallas and local presence uh, in this year, especially. There always is some, like in November, a piece from Conduit Gallery was acquired. Um, But even still, I feel like this year... I was just blown back by the Texas showing being as five of the galleries or five of the pieces acquired were from Texas galleries. Um, and then an additional one was by a Dallas artist. Yeah. The acquisition program with the fair is um, another exciting part about seeing the fair. It like, because it happens the moment that the fair opens for the VIP preview day, the press preview, the VIP preview, um, it feels very intentionally super public, um, which acquisitions generally are. But I feel like you don't usually get to like experience an acquisition like literally the moment that it happens. The the setting of like seeing a show open and then like watching someone walk up and buy it and that person is a museum. Um, It's super exciting. And you're totally right. It's not like, it's not explicitly meant to be for Texas works, but it, it, in that way, it's almost like more strategic. It's kind of like, like you said, Brandon, okay, the galleries know that the DMA is going to bring a pool of money. So like, what are you going to do to kind of sort of, compete for that cash um which maybe that's kind of gamifying it a little bit and i i I don't mean to to explain it that way but um yeah it's just exciting and fun and and again like now that we're kind of back to where all of the all of the related players would like us to be in 2022 we're having a nice big full art fair in april um it's like, yeah, 10 pieces, half of them are related to Texas in some way. It feels like the machine is doing what it was designed to do. Uh, with that, I, I think the only uh, lingering thing that I have to say is uh, just kind of we're tracking this over multiple years at this point, And I don't know if it will ever be remedied or resolved. Um I did see a few absences at the fair. Tally Dunn, again, is doing her own thing with shows and doesn't have her big booth that she normally does have at the fair. Um, that's was held this year again by Night Gallery from L.A. Uh, I also didn't see this year uh, Row 2 Art, which is a gallery in Dallas, which normally had a presence downstairs. This kind of salon-hung, styled booth. Um I do not know whether or not the two of them applied, so I'm not in no way saying that they were rejected or snubbed or anything like that, but they were mainstays of the fair for quite a little while. Um, If you want to 
read anything about that history, Christina Reese wrote uh, extensively kind of about some of the things uh, in past years. Um, So all of that said, no implications here, but it's one of the things that I've been tracking because I always did enjoy Tally Dunn's booth at the fair, and I always did enjoy Rotu's booth at the fair. Um, And both of them have shows up and everything also, so if you want to see them, you definitely, of course, still can. But um, it's just something I'm paying attention to. Yeah. Year over year, you can see who comes back to their booth from the last year. You can see who changes booths. Um, In some ways, it it can be completely inconsequential. But um, if you like keeping your little scorecard and and tallying your, your art world stats... You know, hey, have at it. Well, and there are plenty of other Dallas mainstays who I know were not snubbed in any way, shape, or form, but just haven't done the fair in a long time because they do their own thing during fair week. Galleries like Holly Johnson Gallery or Barry Whistler Gallery. So, uh, as we know, an absence from a fair does not a snub make, uh, but it's something we're paying attention to. And with that, uh, we will leave it there. Thank you for listening. Uh, We hope you were able to see the Dallas Art Fair if you wanted to. Uh, We will link to news about these pieces acquired by the Dallas Museum of Art so that you can see photos of all 10 of them. And that is it. Thanks again for listening. Catch us again in two weeks. And until then, go see some art. Go see some art. This podcast was recorded by Glass Tire and edited by William Saradet. Copyright Glass Tire 2022.